You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. It's five o'clock on Friday afternoon. My name's Jacob, here with you on Community Radio Station 3CR, and this is a Friday Raid. Well, it's Friday again, both here in lockdown Sydney, where it's Friday morning, and down in lockdown Melbourne, where you listen on Friday afternoon. And the good news is, though some may disagree, is that I seem to have finally found my voice back, mostly at least enough to do half an hour on radio as long as I keep the honey and lemon up. But anyway, sorry about the last two weeks, but seriously, I could hardly speak and didn't want to scare the children, not that the kids would be listening to a Friday rave anyway. A couple of weeks ago, I had my first Pfizer um, vaccination jab. And bugger me, I don't know if it was related. Probably not directly. More likely, as the doc up here told me, I was unlikely, unlucky enough to pick up a normal seasonal flu while I was suffering some of the mild side effects of the shot. I thought they'd give me the bloody runner. I felt that crook. But the good news, again, many may disagree that it's good news, is that I haven't got the dreaded lurgy, just a normal one. But anyhow, you with Jacob on a Friday rave here on Community Radio 3CR, broadcasting at 855 kilohertz in Melbourne. On 3CR Digital, via all the W's at 3cr.org.au. However you listen, and wherever you listen from. I hope you're coping with all the lockdown shit as well as can be expected. Now, just to start, and we're going to start today. Um, I was chatting online last week. Is it still called chatting? If you're typing? Whatever. I was chatting, typing with a friend last week. And they were surprised that I got the vaccination shot. I thought you were against that, they said. And I've no idea where they got that from. I've never been anti-vax. Though I've never been militantly pro-vax either. But apparently she thought that I was, because I was anti the COVID measures on so many other issues, the increased laws, the tracking apps, the lockdowns, the sycophantic premier worship, the dividing of workers into those that are essential and the rest of us who are not, you know, and, and I'm against the way, you know, a whole lot of other things happen, but I'm not against the vaccine. I'm against the way, for example, the mainstream left seems to have taken on the attitude that they're somehow more righteous, not because they are spouse fair and equitable economic and social systems, but because they're working harder than any others to stop the pandemic. I'm against the way anybody protesting who is anti-fax or anti-lockdown or anti-anything that the mainstream determines is the correct line was automatically classified as fascists and had their rights, you know, to, to protest, to stand apart from the mainstream, denied. And I'm against the way some people I know, or at least I thought I knew, in the face of the pandemic, suddenly became the most upstanding law and order crusaders this country has ever bloody seen. One person, as I thought of as a friend, um, 
who a couple of weeks before was standing side by side of the refugee rally with me, in the space of that couple of weeks, turned into being, you know, the kind of person who called on people to be locked up for the heinous crime of snogging in public during a lockdown. And neither got upset with me and asked whether I wanted to kill his grandmother. And I replied, not personally, but neither do I want to live forever. I don't want to live forever. Now, I get pissed off with the particular attitude that can be best summed up in the line, even one death is too many and everybody totally needs to change their way of living, not because I'm against the concept of people changing their way of living, not because I want people to die. I just wish that they'd apply the same logic to every other fucked up awful thing in the society that doesn't directly target them. Why not totally change their way of living to stop war or deaths in custody or ecocide, climate change? Why not change the way they're living because even one death caused by any of these effects of rampant capitalism out of control is too many, even if they or their grandparents are unlikely to be the one death because they're weird. My new favourite acronym, weird, white, educated, industrialised, rich and democratic. Most of you. Me. If there's anything good about COVID, <laughs> take that with a grain of salt when I say good about COVID, but if there's anything we can take from it, it is a great democratiser. You can get it walking down the shops, apparently. As likely in Gucci as in savings. Unlike, you know, what, Ebola, you don't have to be in West Africa. Unlike many diseases, you don't have to be poor. Unlike AIDS, you weren't more at risk if you were a gay or an intravenous drug user. It's a democratiser, although I did have one friend tell me that I shouldn't be going out to buy food, that I should get it delivered. But at least to their credit, they understood after I explained that I went out to buy food because I was unwilling to contract out the risk of infection to a foreign student for a couple of bucks. But the point is, that so many people, good people, friends, family even, don't even think of things like this. It's about how we can be affected. And, you know, let's not even talk about the prisons where COVID has done better than in most places. Well, the virus has done better, worse for the people. That's what will happen if you take away people's freedom and crowd them together in awful conditions, wouldn't it? But I've never been anti-vax or an anti-COVID conspiracy nut. I just think that the COVID virus, like I said on this very radio program when we first heard of the bloody thing, is a new thing that we'll grow to live with whether we like it or not, just like we live with so many diseases that were once a death sentence, but we now take in our stride due to things like vaccines, herd immunity and public health systems. And if that's too much to accept, that's true, think of... There's so many blackfellas in this country whose people were decimated not just by things like smallpox, but by things we call the common cold, or even bloody sugar. I'm still against all the restrictive government measures, as I ever was. Don't worry about that. But against the vaccine? Never. Against regular testing? Never. In fact, if everyone got vaxxed and tested regularly and acted appropriately, there wouldn't be the excuse for all the restrictive measures. You wouldn't believe how many people who've had a crack at me for allegedly not taking things seriously have never yet even been tested 
or maybe just been tested once. You see, there seems to be still this idea that COVID, like with so many other aspects of life, whether it be crime or war or all the other shit house things I rattled off earlier, all these things are somebody's fault. You know, you've got to blame someone. That's the one thing that pisses me off. Well, no, it's just one of the things that pisses me off. People not getting regularly tested, not getting vaccinated, and still blaming Scott Morrison or Daniel Andrews or furniture removalists or immigrants or China or anything other than you thought I was going to say themselves, didn't you? But I'm not. It's not people's fault. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's not anybody's fault. It is a fact. It has always been foreseeable. And it was foreseen. There were whole papers written about it. Whole papers written for the Australian military of the, you know, the, the dangers facing Australia in the next few years. Written three, four years ago. It was foreseen, a pandemic. It's, it's, the out, you know, it's the outcome of the kind of growth and all-cost mentality that Western society is right now. But like everything else, and you can't really separate this from the totality of where we've moved to, and by we, I mean here the left, politically, which has lastly morphed into an identity politic as a central te- tenant, I guess. I'm right, you're wrong, and if something goes wrong, it's not only somebody's fault, somebody's mind, not something, or the system's. People stop blaming other people for the shitty situation you find yourself in and get on with life. Now, I don't mean don't agitate, don't organise, don't protest, don't educate, don't endeavour to change things. That is life for us. It's that most people seem to be so concerned with staying alive they've forgotten how to live. As if life itself has been redefined as the basic processes of breathing and brain function and what we used to call life, the good life, in fact, singing and dancing and playing and talking and loving, is now seen as a threat to this new, reduced, miserly, presbyterian definition of life. The old joke about, you know, Methodists being against sex because it leads to dancing isn't so funny now, is it? Yeah, as I said at the start of the show, and as regular listeners would know, I haven't been able to speak all enough to do a show for the last couple of weeks, so I guess I've just had things bottled up a bit, and my voice still isn't the best. But while I've been in Sydney, hell permitting, I've been doing some work with Justice Action, old friends of mine, basically, and people working on prisoners' rights and advocacy. So I've been particularly looking at how the Australian government has been dealing with their obligations under the OPAT, the OPCAT, sorry, the optional protocols on the Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhumane or Degrading Treatment or Punishment. Yep, that's actually its full name, generally referred to as the Convention Against Torture. And while it starts with the word optional, Australia has ratified it and promised to have it implemented in, um, by January 2022, so we haven't got much longer. The short answer is Australia is not dealing with it very well at all. There's hardly an NPM, sorry, National Preventative Mechanism, the key structure around which OPCAT works, in place. And I'll probably speak more about that in the future weeks, maybe get one of Justice Action's people on the show even. 
But for now, I want to talk about torture and other cruel, inhumane or degrading treatment or punishment. Now, firstly, here at home, this week saw the ninth Indigenous death in custody in the last four months. Six of them, I think, in New South Wales. Now, people may have seen a brief news report um, this week about a riot in Sydney's Parkley Prison this week. And I said riot in um, quote, air quotes there. The news sites were full of pictures of prisoners on the roof, of smoke billing out of windows, of the brave robo-cop-looking screws and coppers who moved in with, we're told, permission to suit if necessary. Now that this happened a day and a half after the last, and I've got to say this, last at time of recording, because who knows what could happen between my recording and you hearing it, yet things have got that bad, that this has happened day and a half after the last black death in custody wasn't even mentioned on any of the news reports I saw. And I had a good look. Many of the news sites showed aerial footage taken from news choppers of prisoners on the roof, yet none, even while they spoke about not knowing what was behind the violent riot, none of them seemed to notice that the prisoners had taken off their T-shirts and arranged them in big letters, B-L-M. Black Lives Matter. Now, you want to talk about cruel, inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment. Hardly any news about non-Indigenous men being killed by a corrupt and racist system in four months. And they were all killed. Make no mistake about that. Murdered every bit as much as if someone had put a gun to their bloody heads. Ah, oh, dear. Now, except for the fact every bit as much as if they put a gun to their heads, except for the fact that there isn't an individual to blame. Nine black men murdered, and no mainstream news stories speaking about it as a phenomena in regard to a ride at Park Lee where there was a big BLM sign on the roof. How did that happen? Sure, most of the... Uh, as each individual death in custody happens, there's a little bit of a news story. Talking about them as individual deaths, sure, but not actually address the issue 30-something years after the Royal Commission. You know, if we're lucky, really lucky, we may get a Royal Commission looking into the failures of governments to respond to the Royal Commission. And another 30 years' time, all, but yeah, cruel, inhuman and degrading treatment and punishment. Not... To not only have nine deaths in custody in four months, but not have them acknowledged. Not just by the government, but by the mainstream media. And then, when you crack, when it all becomes too much, and you crack, and you do something that gets you sent inside, and then you crack further, after 90 people were murdered by the prison system you're in, that you put in complaints, and requests, and you advocate, and you petition, and you talk to your social worker, and you talk to your, your brief, then you protest. And finally, when no one friggin' listens, you riot. And then nobody sees your message of Black Lives Matter. And then you're thrown into solitary, given no food or medical attention for the bashing you received. Cruel, inhuman, degrading. But nobody mentions the war. And this, this is what gets me going. This happens in the same week that Ash Party won Wimbledon. Now, don't worry, they've got nothing against her. All power to her. 
But when we as a nation, as a people, as a country, whatever, led by the politicians and the media, spend hours and hours and hours of news time, not really about Aspart, he was most of it, wasn't about her, as much as it was about just how bloody woke we are. That we as a nation can put aside problems of the past and join together in one voice to celebrate how Australia is the kind of place where even a black fella can win Wimbledon these days, like they did all those years ago. As I've said, nothing against a woman, but just a juxtaposition of how we as a country deal with these related stories. And not just we as a country, the same journos, the same copy editors, just makes me sicker than the bloody flu did, to be honest. Ah, but anyway, staying on prisons and torture and other cruel and inhumane degrading treatment and punishment, I've got to give an update on Julian Assange, don't I? Listeners would be well aware of the story to date and probably familiar with the news that I couldn't speak to due to my aforementioned voice that the US government's key witness against Julian, Siggy Thoridson, has come out with the news, surprised the bloody prize, admitted publicly that he gave bullshit evidence as part of a deal to get himself out of jail where he was holed up due to finance and sex crimes. Now, nonetheless, you know, he said, I was lying, I made it up. Nonetheless, the Brits have decided to let the US appeal and go ahead and have another crack at bringing him over to the United States. Oh, jeez, because they did, you'd remember, stop the extradition due to risk to his health and life under the US prison's regime of torture or cruel and inhuman, degrading treatment and punishment, all words to that effect. Now, pressure is building on the Biden administration to drop the extradition and let the bloke go free, and the US seems to be looking to put more of a humane face on things, saying shit like he won't necessarily be placed under the SAMs, the Special Administrative Measures and that after he's been extradited to the US and after he's found guilty, not if, not if he's found guilty, but after he's found guilty, now this foregone conclusion and admission that the trial is a sham in itself should be enough to force the bombs to release him immediately. But yeah, after he's found guilty, he may be allowed to spend some of his jail time in Australia. No guarantees about that, no guarantees about no Sams, but just looking to give the appeal score a face-saver to allow him to be extradited. It's bullshit, every bit as much as the whole rest of the sham trial against him. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR, Radical Radio, and I want you to note that you may in fact be listening even though you may not have yet come good on your Radiothon pledge, or even if you inadvertently forgot to make a pledge. Either way, you should rectify your mistake right now by going to www.3cr.org.au and hitting the donate button. In other news, I was in a dentist waiting room for hours on Thursday um, while they were repairing a plate and they had Sky News on the bloody TV sitting up there in the waiting room. You couldn't escape it. Where I learned all about what they were pretty well pushing as a new Cuban revolution. Apparently thousands of Cubans are on the streets calling for an end to the communist regime. So I got off my phone and looked around and there was almost identical coverage. Thousands take to the streets. But somehow only pictures of, at most, hundreds. 
No talk of the effect of the US economic blockade. No mention of the US financing of anti-government activists. No mention of the US initiated social media, you know, hashtag SOS Cuba. Just about how the government's restrictions are hurting the people. And this repeated ad nauseum. Now, meanwhile, after I get back to the flat abstaining in Glebe and I look through the Latin American news, I find things like Argentina government calling on the US to lift its blockade. Same in Mexico, Bolivia, and Vincent Grenadine. Yet, much like my earlier rave about the Parkley prison roof occupation, our media must have missed it. Instead, giving credence to the story about thousands of protesters demanding an end to the regime. Is this the end? Seriously, the protests were smaller than your average state library gigs in Melbourne. But again, they often turn a blind eye to them as well, so it's the opposite happening here as there. The truth is that the US economic blockade of Cuba is hurting the people, and they know that. And so rather than help the people, they step things up a notch during COVID. The US's tightening of sanctions in the last couple of years have led to the worst food shortages in Cuba, in 25 years, in a quarter of a bleeding century. And that's without any of the pandemic taken into account. You know, then they start and finance a campaign to blame the Cuban government for the pain, of course, offer people salvation in the form of US lackey um, Jose Daniel. Finally, and without a hint of irony for their mismanagement of the COVID crisis, well, they seem to be doing a better job than our mob. Cuba has developed its own vaccine, which is distributing as emergency aid throughout Latin America. Meanwhile, our mob not only can't get their act together on any pandemic-related issues, pitting state against state, but as regular listeners will know, was one of the countries that voted against a proposed moratorium on patent payments to the big drunk companies in the world, to pharma cartels which would have enabled a quick and widespread vaccination program. Not only in the third world, but right here in bloody Australia. So forget Pfizer, forget Scott Morrison's mismanagement or Rudd's intervention. Remember, we only need to get the vaccine from the US because we, or rather our government, voted against making vaccines available outside of the pharmaceutical cartels. The evil government of Cuba, on the other hand, never bought into the TRIPS treaty and is providing it the countries where it's needed most. Yep, you can blame Australia and its first world mates and their unswerving devotion to free market piracy for the incredible situation of scarcity which we're now facing. And while the Australian government blames the state governments, or some of them at least, for all the problems, while states restrict broader crossings where people can't visit sick relatives, where the latest Aboriginal man to die in custody this week, um, Frank Good Coleman, wasn't able to have visits from family for 18 months because of COVID, where the one thing that all Australian governments hold in common, state and federal, is that it's your fault. The federal government lets in 9,000, yes, you heard that right, 9,000 foreign troops into the country to play war games in Queensland, and some of them have tested positive, and many, many more are close contacts. Now, does this have anything to do with John Freewin, formerly of Australian Signals Directorate, and running the Australian Government COVID response? General John Freewin, I should have said. Yeah, they've put a military man 
in charge of the COVID response. But you knew that. I've spoken about it before. And also, now remember when all this started, and I pointed out that the town, the town of Wuhan played host to the World Military Games two months before the first COVID outbreak. Surely, even though there's no proof of causality, and even if there were, we wouldn't be told, the least you would think any sane government would do would be to limit the number of foreign troops allowed in your country, wouldn't you? Even if you had no issue with the idea of them all just being here to practice killing people and stealing their resources. But no, the Australian government doesn't worry about that at all. All they're worrying about is one Chinese surveillance ship which has stayed in international waters off the coast of Queensland to monitor the 9,000 foreign troops and 8,000 Australian troops, 17,000 troops, war games on how they're planning to fight China. We worried about them? We're not worried about 9,000 foreign troops? No, of course we're not. And we're not worried about it because, as I've said, it's your fault, it's my fault, it's everybody's fault but the systems. Well, it's about 25 minutes past the hour here on Community Radio 3CR, and I guess in a couple of minutes I've got left, and they've got left in my throat even, I've got to mention the pissing contest that the richest men in the world are taking into space at the moment, don't I? No, actually, I don't need to mention them. Stop them. This has been a Friday Rave. More next week. Remember, follow the show on socials, and I'll talk to you then. A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. You know, the man just up my rent last night because Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. I wonder why he's upping me because Whitey's on the moon. Well, I was already giving him 50 a week and now Whitey's on the moon. Taxes taking my whole damn check. The junkies make me a nervous wreck. The price of food is going up. And as if all that crap wasn't enough... A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the moon. With all that money I made last year for Whitey on the moon, how come I ain't got no money here? Hmm, Whitey's on the moon. You know, I just about had my bill of Whitey on the moon. I think I'll send these doctor bills, air mail special. Whitey on the moon.